edition of the Pitchside Podcast as we enter the first week of May. Once again, I'm joined by Freddie Wilde, Tom Moody, and we're each sitting in our various countries, UK, Australia, Western Australia, and of course, Port of Spain, Trinidad. And today, we're going to discuss the best test batsmen of this decade. And just to re remind you again, it's of the last 10 years and strictly speaking to test cricket, we talked about bowling in our last podcast. Great to hear from Dale Stain and then to debate and discuss around him. Gentlemen, hello and uh, welcome. How are you? Who goes first? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Bish and uh, Freddie. Good to hear you. And you're yeah, looking forward to very much having another chat on this podcast. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be intriguing to see what uh, what we come up with here. I think there's a few obvious ones, but uh, I'm sure we're going to have a bit of debate on on who's going to fill those final spots. Ready? Yeah, good, good, good to hear from you both. Um, yeah, I was just tweeting the other day saying we obviously set up this podcast around a month ago and we've all had a lot of fun doing it. I think we, did, we sort of set it up initially to to give some light entertainment to everyone. But I think we're all, well, I can speak for myself and I'm saying very much looking forward to our weekly chats. And this one um, promises to be particularly interesting. I'm sure we'll have some differences of opinion. All right. The lockdown is, is, is being relaxed where Tom is. It's still stringent in the UK. So we'll get straight into the meat of this. And just a couple of points here. I know listeners are tuned in and they're asking themselves, should we define what a good test player is first? Because we can name five or six top players, and I think three of them seem to be right in there. So I'm going to ask our senior statesman, Tom, to, to, to kick things off, whether he wants to define first or to name his three, top three. Oh, Bish, I love it how you, you, you've sort of... <laughs> you did it last week as well. Just have, have crowned me as the senior statesman. <laughs> uh, what am I about... Five days older than you, or two months, or still ahead, still ahead. Whatever it is, I suppose <laughs> I'm a little bit older. But yeah, look, it's it is it, it is interesting. I think firstly the top three for me they stand out, uh, and no particular order. That's Smith, Coley, and Williamson. Um, uh, to me, in Test cricket, the top three players and have been consistently for a number of years. Um, and just to remind. Uh, our listeners, we're only considering players that are currently still playing right. in the yeah. last 10 years because there has been a few that are retired uh, in that 10-year window, so we're not considering them. So Smith, Coley, Williamson. Now, the, the, the areas that I define um, what makes a very good test cricketer is not just their batting average. I look at their strike rate because I think strike rate is very important uh, in test cricket because at the end of the day test cricket's about time and you want to give your bowlers enough time to take 20 wickets because you can't win a test match unless you're taking those 20 wickets so uh, I think strike rate is important I think their home and away record is also very important and also their ability to play different type of, types of bowling in different conditions so whether that be pace bowling on quick wickets or scoring runs in English conditions where it's seeming or swinging around or turning conditions like we see in the subcontinent. Um, and finally, I think uh, it, it is someone that is always, uh, ha always has the ability to be able to be part of critical partnerships. To me, there's 
test runs when you know everything's you know going along swimmingly and they're the hard test runs so i think we, we also need to sort of consider well who's getting huge numbers in test cricket as in huge runs in very flat benign conditions and who are the ones that are regularly scoring runs when it's really tough and they always seem to be able to step up in those situations and just one and one one key thing there i think to add to that is and that's very relevant to the situation is where they bat in the order um some of the guys that we'll talk about or most of the guys that we're going to be talking about today are middle order players that's partly because at the moment there does seem to be a dearth of openers but opening the batting is exceptionally difficult and again at the top you said you know you can't just look at average and you can't for many reasons and one of them is that you know when you're when you come out to bat against two two of the team's best bowlers holding the new ball it's substantially more difficult than um, it can be after 50 or 60 over. So there's a there's a whole load of of different factors that you've got to consider. I think moves there you, you summed up most of them, and that could probably broadly be put under the term of versatility, um, the ability to succeed in different conditions against different type of bowlers, different situations. Um, so we're going to try. Obviously, I'm coming at this from an analyst's perspective, and the numbers do matter a lot to me. But but it's about trying to look in between, you know, a little bit more detail at those numbers and at some more detailed numbers to try and find out um, who's, you know, who, who, what separates the really good players from the from the from the maybe average ones. Um, and and yeah, I think that versatility for me is is the key thing when considering greatness as a test batsman. All right, you're not going to get away that easy. I'm going to come back to you for your top three. Um, in a little while, but I'm just going to build on what Thomas said there. For me, a good test player, first of all, has to have the technique, the ability, as Tom said, to adapt to conditions. And why that's important for me is if you want to be considered the best, I don't think you want to limit yourself to, to one particular part of the world of scoring because it's the same things that are asked of someone like a Jimmy Anderson, a lot of his detractors talk about his good bowling form maybe in the West, in England or in New Zealand, versus maybe a higher strike rate, more deliveries per wicket in the subcontinent. So I think you want to be a good batsman or bowler all around the world. Adapting conditions are very good. Um, patience as well for me, Tom and Freddie, and for our listeners. I think Test cricket is a game where... I look at Shivnarayan Chandapal, I look at Raul Dravid, the ability to bat for long periods of time, but still having the technique to keep out good deliveries, absolutely vital for me. Um, you have an outline, someone like Verinda Sewag, who went at a tempo and nearly averaged 15 test match cricket, but you still, I think, have to have that ability to keep out good deliveries. Bish, let me just add a little bit around technique. You know, I feel technique such an interesting topic, and I think that the very best players develop a, a real trust in in their method. And everyone's got a very different method. You know, we've we've been taught for years and years around that sort of MCC manual approach where you elbow up high and you're getting a big stride and you're hitting straight through the line and you're hitting through the V. But we look at some players, and Smith is probably one of the best examples with a modern-day player, Chandra Paul, who you mentioned as well. He found a method that worked and worked very, very well for a long period of time. And I think the interesting thing with someone like Smith is that I think 
his method changes according to situations. You know, he hasn't got a set approach for every single game. His movement and his pattern of movement can be different from game to game, from series to series, from venue to venue. And that's the beauty of his brilliance, in my view, is that he's got that trust in his his method to make things happen and work through problems. And Justin Langer said something I thought was quite brilliant during the recent Ashes series, and that was that he felt Smith was the with the best problem solver that he's ever seen. And I thought that was just, you know, a very interesting comment because that's what he does. There's problems that you have to solve as a batsman when it's singing, when it's swinging or seaming or spinning. And he has the ability to adapt his method to be effective. So I, I, I would encapsulate what you're saying there. This is my own personal thing in building on what you're saying, the ability of an individual player to keep good balls out or to put bad balls away, but do it as efficiently as possible, whatever that looks like for that person. Now, as we relay that, Freddie, Tom and I have concurred on Smith, we've concurred on Virat and Kane Williamson. All three have different methods and we can break that down a little bit further, but let me hear something from you in terms of the numbers of why you have chosen, who you've chosen. Yeah, I mean, I would agree on those three players, and I think they, they stand out from a statistical standpoint. Um, they're the three guys who, who have played a decent number of games who will average above 50 in Test cricket. Um, Smith with 63, Coley at 54, and Williamson at 51. Um, Labuschagne is actually up there, but obviously he's played fewer games. And, and for that, you know, just from a basic statistical standpoint, that those guys are out on their own. I mean, Smith is out on his own amongst those three. Um, and it's interesting that you're talking about techniques. There are three very different techniques there of those guys. I think I see Williamson as probably the most conventional of the three. Um, he plays very late is something that defines him. It's something that a lot of coaches often talk about. Um, but I'd say, yeah, from, it, it, we talk about moves reference there, the sort of old MCC coaching manual. Williamson, for me, is the closest to that. That doesn't mean his technique is the best. That's just how I would describe it. Smith, obviously, is the least, is the furthest away from that with a sort of an, an amazingly unorthodox technique. But as, as Mood said, it works for him and he's a problem solver. It's something which he, he can adjust and, and, and change around the world. And then there's Cody, who I think is probably, from a technical standpoint, the sort of most modern of the three in that he's like, you know, he's not dissimilar to Williamson and he does everything correctly, but he comes hard at the ball. Um, he's, got, he's got amazing hand speed and there's that sort of modern dynamism and power, which I think is sort of more borrowed from white ball cricket. And I think it's no surprise that probably you'd say of the, those three players, Coley is the most white ball orientated of them, I think certainly the strongest ODI player. And that comes through in his test batting. I think um, Coley, um, possibly the way that he goes at the ball quite hard means he can be quite vulnerable. And as we've seen uh, in that initial tour to England, he struggled. Um, last year, uh, 2019 was a huge year. Sorry, 2018 was a huge year for Coley and he sort of conquered those, uh, the, the demons, I suppose, that are around his game uh, in England and in South Africa. And sort of basically, I think that's when he really elevated himself from a very good player to a great player. Um, so he is vulnerable when he goes hard at the ball like that. But I think it also means when Coley is at his best, 
I would say that he's arguably the best of those three. When he's up and running, he is so dominant. And I think an interesting statistic actually with, with Virat is his conversion rate. He's the only player um, who we're going to talk about today. We've sort of identified a leading group of players whose conversion rate is above 50%. So he has more hundreds than he has 50s. No other player we're going to talk about today has that. And I think that sort of um, speaks to the fact that, as I said, when he's in, he is so dominant and he is so good. Um, so you've got, to, you've got to get him early. Um, and that, yeah, that's, that's sort of just three differences, I suppose, that stand out. They're slightly tied to their techniques, but also just sort of the way they go about their business, um, which is what's so great about the game, right? We've got three really good players who are all subtly different. Yeah, yeah. I just want to add something about uh, Coley. And I've, you know, he is also just stunning to watch as a player. Um, and I think the... The, his game has evolved over the last few years in Test cricket because he's managed to just temper that fire that's within his soul. He's got that real spark and fire and character just oozing out of his pores. We we, we see that uh, on on the white ball stage, which is suited to the white ball stage more. But in Test cricket, in the early parts of his brilliant career to date. It has been, it has been his undoing, and I think that series you referred to, Freddie, in 2018, he managed just to temper that fire, to still have it, but just keep control of it because he knew, if he if he went and tried to play with that fire on a regular basis, it was going to be his undoing because generally, from a technical point of view, that's when his bat just gets a little bit too far away from his body whether it be out in front of himself or just outside that corridor of off stump where he just can can mm-hmm. go fishing uh, for those balls through the covers. The thing about a good test batsman is the mental strength. I think when we look at the great players, the Tendulkas, the Laras of the past, uh, Smith now definitely seems to be a guy, mental toughness, guys, to be able to have that, dogmatic attitude that I am going to dominate, I'm going to stay here. Chandapal, for example, had that in eons. Um, I think Virat Kohli has that, that mentality. Kane Williamson, quieter persona, but he has that mental strength and capacity as well to never, ever be defeated. Yeah, I mean, that, that was apparent. In, I think there was a, a century from Smith uh, in Brisbane, and the most recent Ashes, where he was he was beaten countless times outside of stump. And actually, Coley over here and Edgebaston as well, both of them displayed similar traits, basically being beaten again and again. And this happens more and more in the modern game because ball dominates bat a lot. Pitches are difficult to bat on. And that ability to just put that ball behind you and say, I- I'm still here and focus on what you're doing and continue to back your technique to survive is something that I, th- these three, all of them have. Um, and particularly Smith, that just bloody mindedness. I don't care how weird I look. I feel comfortable. I'm still here. You can't get me out. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's that that is a key point. I think that sort of yeah, the, the mental toughness, and it, it comes in different forms. You know, Saywag was mentally tough in a different way. He backed his own game to be aggressive. Warner is mentally tough in a way that he continues to play the way he does. And and so is Pajara. There are there are different ways of looking at it. But particularly with Smith, Kane, and Coley, it's that like. I'm not being removed attitude, which is which is sets them apart, particularly Coley and Smith, I think. Right. So so I think we agreed on those those three, Smith, Williamson and Coley. And, and just for me, from a bowling perspective, and I try to always frame um, 
my description of players are almost always anyway as to how I can see myself bowling to them in my own mind. And for someone like uh, a Steve Smith, um, I would I would sort of have some difficulty bowling to him if I throw my mind back to when I was playing bowling to Steve and Mark Waugh. Mark Waugh was very risky, very elegant. He would whip deliveries from off stump through the leg side. And I just couldn't get myself settled bowling against him, whereas Steve Waugh played in straighter lines, slightly more orthodox. And I found that I was more confident, even though he was the higher volume scorer of the two twins, uh, to bowl against him. Tendulkar the same. Great player, uh, one of the greatest of the game, and he could dominate almost every attack he played against. But there were times because he would go harder deliveries outside the off stump, my own eye test made me a little more comfortable in red ball cricket, bowling against him and looking to get him out, nick him off, uh, nick him behind on, on a couple of occasions. So the same thing, I think, applies for me personally to Virat Kohli. Excellent player. But I always feel that my plan against him would be to nick him off because he goes harder deliveries that are maybe a foot, a foot and a half outside the off stump. So a lot of this technique is individual um, and really comes down from a bowling perspective on what suits your eye, what deliveries you bowl against a particular batsman. They're all great players. Williamson, for me, has the tightest orthodox technique and he could prove very difficult to dismiss from my own perspective. So that's just an individual story. If we move quickly on to who are the nearest challengers to these guys, uh, numbers-wise, technique-wise, in this list? And one, one guy who I think we've got to talk about next, who's typically grouped in with these three, is Root. Um, I think people often in the last four or five years have thought about the big four, of which the three we've spoken about, Smith, Williamson and Coley, and then there's Root. Now, certainly in the last couple of years, I think people's perspectives on that have begun to change. Root's form um, in 2018, he averaged 41. In 2019, he averaged 37. At the same time, Coley, Smith and Williamson are all averaging north of 50. So you can see there, just in the last couple of years, their careers have begun to go in slightly different trajectories. There is, I think, one big caveat to that, and I think that Root definitely bats in the toughest of the conditions out of those guys, and that's certainly a factor. Um, but for me, the big thing with Root, and it's, you know, it's not a, a new point, uh, goes back to his conversion rate. And now that's not because 100 is massively more valuable than a 99. Um, statistically, as a conversion rate, you know, they're, 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 you know, that would affect his conversion rate. But what I'm talking about here is the ability to score big scores you know, the ability to redefine games with, with the bat. Now, Root scores a lot of 50s, as we know, but doesn't go on and convert them to 100s. The, the raw numbers are he's got 17 test 100s and 48 test 50s. That's a conversion rate of 26%. Just by way of comparison, Coley, 55%, Smith, 47%, Williamson, 40%. Um, and, and I just want to reaffirm that point that I'm saying. And 99 and 100 are not too, aren't that different, but they do affect your conversion rate. But what is different is a 50 and a 60 and a 70 and a 120 and a 130 and a 140. It's the, it's the, what that conversion rate means is that Root isn't playing as many innings when he goes on and redefines a game. He gets England into a, you know, he gets into good positions, but doesn't kick on. And I think that at the moment is what is separating Root from being, uh, you know, he is going to end up being a great player. Without a doubt, he's already one of England's greatest players. But from potentially being England's greatest batsman, 
the thing that is standing between him and that is that ability to, to kick on from these starts that he gets and, and, and go big. And what's frustrating, I think, as well, is, is that he does so much of the hard work, particularly in English conditions. And I guess maybe, maybe the point is, and I'll throw it to you guys, is it because conditions in England are so hard that you can't ever really relax in a way that maybe in India or certainly in New Zealand, once you're in, you're in. But in England, maybe you're not. And maybe that's the thing that's holding him back. But for me, that is the key stat. And it's why he's very good, but he's not in that top three. Yeah, look, there's no question. Joe Root's a very fine player. Um, what concerns me is the if I'm looking as a, an observer to try to come up with, you know, our top five what really concerns me is conversion rate because I put a huge value on on batsmen getting big runs um, in any conditions. And yes, you, you can get big hundreds, big double hundreds in absolute flat benign conditions, which which is great, but it's not as good as, a, uh, you know, runs when, you know, the conditions are particularly challenging so that conversion is a worry because one he is the senior batsman he is the captain he's got us put his stamp on the game and to me the best players get first innings hundreds as well and they get they set the game up they set the tone and quite often the best players get uh, test hundreds in the first test match of a series Uh, they make a statement in the series that they are going to dominate and they're going to control the series. Um, and we've seen that in the, in the past with the likes of Smith, um, the way he came back from the ban uh, from the sandpaper gate was extraordinary uh, and is nearly superhuman. Um, the other thing that concerns me with Joe Root is the mode of dismissal. What concerns me is when your best players are getting bold. Joe Root, for me, gets bowled a lot uh, for a player of his calibre. Uh, to me, he's nearly the polar opposite to Kane Williamson technically, where Kane Williamson nearly plays the ball behind himself. Um, jo- Joe Root plays out in front of himself quite a lot, and he plays from a, a, a quite often uh, from a stagnant position where he's from the crease. He's neither forward and committed in a strong position on that front foot or he's committed to go fully back. And that's why I think he does get uh, bold more than you would expect a player of his calibre that's averaging nearly 50 in test cricket. So just a couple of observations I have with Root. There's there's no doubt um, I think he's going to only get better and better. The other thing that intrigues me, some batsmen thrive under the pressure of leadership and some batsmen uh, do the polar opposite and and find it challenging and it does affect their own individual performance. I'll throw it out there. Is Joe Root thriving with leadership or is he struggling with it? Yeah, that'll unveil itself with time. It's a really good question actually for, for our listeners to give their opinions on. Um, I think we've covered Root quite well there. For me, it gets a little bit challenging as we go down the list because I'm looking at someone like David Warner. And basically because I place, and I think a lot of us place such a high premium on getting hundreds in test match cricket, and you look at the volume of hundreds that 
David Warner has scored. I mean, uh, 2,400s in 84 test matches, whereas someone, as Freddie pointed out, Joe Root, 92 test matches and only 1,700s. The style with which Warner plays as well, pretty much an attacking style. He tends to most times, most, not all, dominate attacks. I remember 100 that he scored on a very difficult pitch. I think it was in Hobart some years ago against New Zealand on a pitch that did everything. Um, But his inability to score enough away from home is a constant problem. So do we place David Warner in that top five or is that a way record for all the reasons that we talked about? If you talk about bowlers not having good away records and that's a black mark against them, is Warner falling into that category? It's a very tough question and, and I can't... It, it, sometimes I think yes when you watch him in Australia and you think, God, this guy's good. And then you watch him play away, and as you said, he, he can really struggle. For me, I, I, I'm going to put him sort of skirting around the answer a little bit. I think I'm saying Root is, is the four is number four in, in our in our sort of list. I'm going to put Warner then alongside another guy who I think, in a weird way, has very similar issues, and that's Pajara. Now they're very different types of players. As we've said, Warner is a dominant player. Um, he scores quickly, and, he's, and he gets out quite quickly. Um, he struggled, he, he's dominated in home conditions. He struggled against spin. And Pajara is a different player in that he's very defensive and his issue is sort of more strike rate orientated. But what I would say they both have is they both are very dominant in certain conditions and in other conditions, they're less so. For me, these guys are five and six. I'm, I'm having them in, in sort of our, our, our ratings. Um, mm. but, but I think that they, their ability to succeed around the world is a constant question mark on their games. Um, for Warner, it's obviously he's just come off the back of a, a, a dismal Ashes series in England. Um, and his record at home and away, I'll just get up his numbers here. So he averages 66 at home and 33 away. Pajara, 61 at home and 39 away. And Pajara's a fantastic player, strong player of spin, um, but has struggled in, in conditions um, such as England and Africa. South Africa, when the ball has, has moved laterally from seam bowlers. Um, different types of players, but I pose to you similar problems in, in versatility. And we identified that as a key thing early on in the show. Um, versatility and these guys, that's where they fall down for me. The one thing I'll add, um, and I'm not putting them at five and six, by the way, Freddie, quite All right. yet. <laughs> okay. All right. The, 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 the the, the issue with regards to their ability to score runs against pace versus spin, I think, is an interesting one with both the Pajara-Warner uh, discussion as well because Warner averages 49 in test cricket against pace and 48 against spin. So it's a very balanced number. There's consistency there. So you can, in, in those types of conditions, he can adapt. Uh, Pajara, though, averages 38 against pace, which I thought was extraordinary, that number, particularly given he bats at three and at times in test cricket has opened the batting. So that would be a concern to me, given that primarily a lot of the balls he's facing is against pace, but against spin, as you touched on, he's averaging 75 in test cricket. And I just wonder whether that is the the typical long day in India or the subcontinent where you have spinners bowling in conditions where you're waiting for the surface to unravel uh, and turn into a, a real challenging spinning top. 
Um, so I'm not taking anything away from Pajara as a player. I just I just think that 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 number there really concerns me, particularly given that he is a number three and at times an opening bat, uh, where Warner against pace is at 49, not 38. With Pajara, that that lower strike rate, the lower average, sorry, against pace is partly a product of his game plan. He is a, a player who basically knuckles down against quick bowling um, and, and doesn't look to score too often and, and blunt the new ball. Um, and then he cashes in against spinners. And I definitely would agree he, he is not um, in, in English conditions and in South African conditions. He has struggled against quicks. That happens sometimes. But that is a product. Those numbers are partly a product of his method. He, he almost refuses to, to budge against quicks. And I'm just going to stay in and hang around. And I think... For me, why I put Pajara so high um, is because of his ability to, 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 to just basically stay at the crease. I think it's an underrated quality now. At the top of the show, it's interesting, you said strike rate is it's something that, that you consider very important among a test player. And uh, I don't disagree, but I do think that player who can stay there has value. And even if that value is just simply that it means he's protecting Coley from the new ball for a couple of extra overs, I don't really care if he's not scoring runs whilst he's doing that. There is value to be had in that. Jonathan Trott did it brilliantly for England for many years. He basically was a rock at three to protect the more dynamic guys like Peterson and Bell and Cook and Pryor, but not Cook, sorry, and Collingwood and Pryor below him. And, and that's what I think, that's what for me, Pajara stands out as someone who is just, he breaks the mould of modern players and he has a sort of stickability. Uh, the, the only thing I'd question, though, is how many test matches are you winning with that method that you're referring to? against the method of getting runs quickly uh, and having the same result, but you've bought 45 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is in time over the how, how many course of a matches, test match. How, how many test matches are drawn nowadays? Very few. We very, very rarely see teams run out of time to win a test match. And if anything, Pajara staying at the crease is meaning the conditions are going to become more difficult for the guys batting in the fourth inning. I, I, think, I think batting time is, is underrated in test cricket nowadays. It's why we're not seeing so many draws. I don't think many players are able to hang at the crease in the way that Pajara does. And you won't win many, many test matches with 11 Pajaras, but you'll win a lot with one. And that's what, you know, India are top of the world right now. He, he is a pivotal rock in that team. And he's protecting two very good players, one of whom we've spoken about, Kohli, and another, Rahane, down the order, who can then kick on and you know, the other players, Jadeja, Pant, etc. And for me, that's, that's why I rate Pajara so highly. Bish, I let, let you come in. You're looking for some defence against Moods, are you? He's bigger <laughs> than both of us. Now, look, I, I, I sort of, I have some notes here, to be quite honest with you. I wrote these notes down and um, they're quite similar to what you've said, Freddie, in that Moods places an emphasis on that strike rate because he places a heavy emphasis on looking to win the test matches. But immediately my mind asks the same question, how many test matches are drawn? I don't think that many test matches that are uninterrupted from a weather perspective actually get drawn. Um, so we have to define, in terms of looking for our best player, is it the match winner or is it the role player? Because you look at, I'll go back to Shivnarayan Chandapal again, and his method of scoring and tuning out runs came at his own pace. But was he playing or a player like that playing a role within the team 
that gets overlooked when they are surrounded by the Virat Kohli's, uh, the more aggressive players. In, go back a few years, Brian Lara, for example, around Shivnarayan Chandapal. Are we just looking at the numbers? So I do believe that we have to look at a lot of intangibles. And I like Pujara's role in and around a lot of guys, but I don't think Moods is wrong. I think that his perspective and the way Australia, just to mention, Freddie, Australia are now top of the tree, followed by New Zealand, and India have slipped down to three. So um, being a stats man, <laughs> I don't want to, to, to pull you up on that. So it, maybe it does speak to a lot more of what Tom is talking about, of playing aggressive uh, cricket, but being balanced, Tom. Isn't that a word that mm. you used to me in our preamble this morning? Balance, batsmanship in terms of the weight between aggression and defence. Yeah, look, absolutely. There's a place for both of them. They're both brilliant players and they both have you know, vastly different roles. And I, I agree with Freddie in the sense that you, you like to your Pajara uh, valuable assets in test cricket, um, but only if you've got the, the batting strength around uh, that player to, to, I suppose, take advantage of the balls that he's absorbed and the pressure that he's absorbed. If you don't, you end up, you know, in a situation where 50 overs of the test match is gone and you're only on 100, and you may only be two down after 50 overs, but you've only got 100 runs, you suddenly lose two quick wickets, you've got a problem. You've got a major yeah. problem, because you're four that, for 100, and you've gone nowhere in the match. That, so, that's true, and the, the, the only other thing I'd, I'd just like to, just to make a point in, in favour of that sort of stickability method, um, it's something we saw last year, uh, the year before last, when India played Australia. In Australia, Pajara batted for hours and hours. They had a four-man attack, Australia, and he ground them into the dirt. It's something that flowers England. It was part of their strategy, was that we're going to bat time so to basically to break the other bowlers. It's a game of attrition. Um, and I think that, that um, there's value in that too. And whilst you're completely right, you need to capitalise on that. Um, and you know, I suppose it's a, it's a bit of a it's a high wire act in a way. If, if, if you get out, it can undo a lot of the work. But you, well, you are you are putting miles in the legs of the bowlers. It's a, it's a physical game played across many days, and, and there is value in in that too. I, th I think there was a little time when India were out here a couple years ago. Well, more than a couple. Go back to 2016, just to throw something in a spoke in the wheel there, where I think Virat Kohli dropped. Cheteshwar Pujara from yeah. the test team, I think in place of Rohit Sharma, because he wanted Moods and Freddie, someone that could move the game along at a quicker rate to Tom's point in looking to win the test match. Um, but they've reverted to Cheteshwar Pujara. Does that sort of bring about a change of perspective more in keeping with Tom's point? Uh, or is it that Cheteshwar Pujara has decided that he needs to also maybe move through a, a little bit of more of a gear in test match cricket. He was brilliant in Australia anyway. Tom, I don't know if you you, you want to add to that point. or. Yeah, look, I, I think it's more to do with, my observation is it's more to do with um, the Indian selectors, the Indian management have come to terms with his style of play and accepted it as an asset against trying to look at the flaws in his right. method. 
so, you know, it, it, there's no doubt, because we're talking about him being one of the five, there's, there's no doubt he's a special player. Uh, for him to be considered as being dropped because he's batting too slowly is extraordinary. Yeah, I, I, when, he, when, he, when he batted in Australia, I was over the moon when India won that test series based on his batting generally, because one of the things I tweeted was that there was still room in modern test match cricket for the archetypal, maybe old school test match batsman. So, um, look, there's loads of room for him. There could be more of them, I think. You know, so <laughs> it's sort of amazing we say that you know there's room for one. I, I yeah. think there's room for more than that because there's not many test matches drawn, as I said. But yeah, it might be a debate. So, for as the youngest bit. member of our podcast, Freddie, are you going old school on us? Yeah, I am. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, in, in, in different formats, in, T, in C20 cricket, it's sure, it's all, it is all about attack I just and, and, and aggression and, and modern stroke play. And there is a place for that in the test game. But I think with current Red Bull cricket, there isn't enough, there aren't enough players who, who, who exhibit the qualities that Pujara does. And, and the reason is because of the influx of T20 cricket. You know, batsmen have forgotten the method to defend for long periods of time. And the patience word you mentioned, Bish, right at the top of the show, was I think the patience gone. They're wanting to see the scoreboard ticking over and their own individual score going. They want to dominate bowlers and not wear them down, you know, through the Pajara method. Is, is that why a, a, a listener sent me a question last week, Moods, and, and Tom, just, just not going off the street, but is that why, given that in the last two or three years, Freddie, I think you said last five years, where I know we've seen more grass, more bowler-friendly, seam bowling-friendly, sometimes spin bowling-friendly pitches, is that a sense why batsmen generally are struggling a little bit more in the current test match game as opposed to 10 years ago? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a factor. I think, I think, you know, Moods' point is right in that there's a, you know, players, a lot more players now when they're growing up are probably, uh, you know, adopting white ball methods because they, you know, it's a huge part of the modern game. It'd be understandable to try and make your career in, in, in the shortest formats. But yeah, conditions have become more difficult. Bowlers have, have we're in a golden era for bowling as I've touched on a couple of times in previous shows. Um, and one, one thing as well, and again, without wanting to go off too much of a tangent, last year we saw England, in fact, in the last couple of years, we've seen England pick quite a few players from their white ball side moving into their test side. Jason Roy, Josh Butler are two examples. But then actually in the last six months, we've seen Rory Burns, Dom Sibley and Zach Crawley, three players who really don't play much white ball cricket, come into the side. And those guys, it's early days, but they've had more success. And for me, I think that, that there's, there's something interesting in that. Um, guys who are Red Bull specialists adopting old school methods to, to survive a very tough era for, for batsmen. Yeah, and mm. I just want to loop that loop that back, and it's a good point you make, Freddie. And I, I think the reason the likes of your your Butlers, uh, um, your Bearstows, and uh, those Roy. types, uh, Jason Roy, those type of players haven't had the consistent success that you'd expect them to in I'll bring it right back to the point I made about trusting your method. I don't think they have trusted their method in test cricket. I don't I don't think they've gone out there and and dealt with the game they with the mindset that they would do in the short form. I'd much rather see those players go out there and take the game on Vrinda Sawag style. 
you know, Sawag didn't compromise. Sawag ended up out of the Indian side because Greg Chappell, when he was coaching India, basically tried to change his method. And then Sawag came back with a vengeance when he said, no, I'm going to trust my method and take this game on. And we were treated to many years of Verinder Sawag, you know, ripping attacks apart. I find it very difficult to bowl to him, I'll tell you that. Uh, so we haven't decided, we haven't had consensus on, on those two or three that we talked about. A couple of our guys, uh, Manus Labishing, very new to test match cricket. Uh, some of the older school with Angelo Matthews, Roy Sharma, Babarazam. So if we focus maybe a little bit on one or two of those names, the best of the rest... How do we put Ross Taylor, Rahane, Baba, Labushin in that grouping? Yeah, look, I uh, Manus Labushin has had an extraordinary uh, rise to Test cricket, but I can't put him in my top five purely because fourteen matches is not a big enough snapshot of 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 where he's at as a Test cricketer. Um, what he has done is extraordinary. His numbers are, you know, he's averaging 63. Um, and, uh, you know, his record is uh, is right up there with the best. But I think to compare him with Coley, Smith, Williamson is a very unfair comparison because we haven't seen enough and he hasn't seen enough of the challenges that Test Cricket throw to uh, to players over, over a, you know, a lengthy period. Um and I nearly put Baba Azam in that same category. category. Uh, yeah, I, even though he's played 26 matches, I think half of those matches he was uh, not really even considered part of the, the the main batting lineup for Pakistan. He was the afterthought, you know, down the order. He's emerged over the last year or so into something that's going to be so special. Uh, you know, we talked about how uh, Virat Kohli is so good, good, good on the eye as a batsman. Well, if you think if you think Virat Kohli is good to watch, have a look at Babar Azam bat. My gosh, he is something special. And and I think that you know, in the next five to ten years, he will definitely be in your top five without question. But I think at the moment, it's very hard to justify him in that position given. You know, just his his statistics. You know, for instance, away from home, he's only averaging 37. Uh, at home, he's averaging 67. But we've got to consider that he's hardly played away from home, and a lot of those games away from home were the early parts of his career. Is that right, Freddie? Yeah, yeah, completely. And I just, just to, to jump on um, your comments about both those two, Labashain and Baba. Firstly, with Labashain, I completely agree. It's too early to be able to, to, to group him with the, the guys we've mentioned just simply because of sample size. What I will say with Labashain, and you guys are certainly more qualified to, to pass judgment on this than, than me, is I just see something. There is something about him that stands out. And I think it, you know, he, he, his success so far has come in England in a very tough series. The way he came into that series literally replacing Smith at the crease. I think there is an element of sort of narrative there which meant he's been compared to Smith maybe more than he should have been. But he came in in a very tough situation in a tough series for batting and was phenomenal. Then in easier conditions, admittedly, at home, he dominated. But the way that he goes about his game, for me, is so organised that I do think that 
whilst I don't expect he's going to be able to maintain the levels he started at, I think we might have a very special player on our hands here. And that, that's on the basis of, of some, his first-class numbers are remarkably normal. He's averaging like 30-odd in first-class cricket, but he has come in. And I think there is an interesting, and again, whilst it was just saying that they're probably, it's probably premature to compare him to Smith, there is something that stands out in the way that he bats with Smith, and that's that judgment outside of stump. He is so patient. He is so patient and he has an impeccable judgment in terms of when to play and when to leave. And he'll just wait for bowlers to stray straighter and clip them through the leg side. I watched it all last summer. I watched it all, all down under um, this winter as well. And, and I just think there's something there. And again, the one, you know, obviously he hasn't done it around the world. He hasn't yet played. Uh, we played a couple of tests in Asia, but he's not been really tested there. So far, he averages 80 against spin, admittedly in, in less spin-friendly conditions, but that bodes well for his success. I think it's too early for Labuschagne to be put amongst these guys, but I think there's something about Marnus Labuschagne. Yeah, totally agree on those two uh, players for the future. So in looking to, to fill that void, then I want to mention a couple more needs. Elder statesmen, uh, to put it that way, who possibly for listeners out there. Uh, Azhar Ali um, of Pakistan. Um, Angela Matthews comes into the equation again, uh, much older players. And we can also talk about two guys, Ross Taylor, who I think is in there with a shout as well as Ajinga Rahane. So I like the Ross Taylor equation. I think he averages more away from home than he does at home. Uh, he, he scores hundreds at not the same rate as the top three, uh, but he's done it consistently over a long period of time, even throughout this 10-year period that we talked about. And to me, of that group, Matthews, Rahane, and Taylor, I like Ross Taylor and what he brings, being able to, to score at a decent tempo and still have the ability to give you, what, how many hundreds has Ross got? 14? 1900s overall, 14 in that period that we talked about. Yeah, look, I, I'm a Taylor fan as well. And what uh, sort of drags my eye to him is I always feel that he's getting tough runs. Uh, right. So often, New Zealand in Test cricket are two down for not many. And you see the, you, you see the, the, the Williamson-Taylor show. And it, it cannot be easy. We know that conditions also in New Zealand can be challenging, but so often they're having to shoulder the responsibility to resurrect that side's uh, fortunes. You look at the team's success. You know, to me, you judge a player um, with regards to how they influence the outcome of the team. Yes, it's an individual team sport, and you want to see how many hundreds someone scores or how many wickets they take. But ultimately, are they winning games of cricket or helping the team win games of cricket? So that's, I mentioned partnerships earlier in the show, and I think that's a really good example of a player that manages to, to stick like glue to a partner to be able to help get a, a, a situation which could, which could be desperate into a safe and competitive situation where the likes of Trent Bolt and Southey and Santner and whoever else that's running in and bowling for New Zealand to, 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 to change their fortunes in the Test match. Are we sleeping on any of these, Freddie? 
Well, I mean, of, of the guys that, you know, you mentioned there, some of the, as you said, elder statesmen, Rahane, Taylor, Matthews, um, guys who've been around for a while who perhaps would sneak under the radar um, in these kind of debates. For me, for similar reasons to, to what Mooj has just made for, for Taylor, Matthews is someone who stands out for me. Um, he is, uh, Matthews is, when I looked at some numbers and broke down um, players' records in the five different continents. Um, Matthews averages more than 40 in four continents um, around the world. He averages 40 in more than 40 in South Africa, more than 45 in Asia, 48 in England, and 45 in Australia and New Zealand. Um, the only other players who do, there are a group of other players who do that. Williamson does it. Um, Joe Root does it. Um, Smith does it. He averages 40 plus in five continents. Uh, and then there's Matthews, Rahane, and Latham. Now, Rahane, Rahane and Matthews, for me, are, are worth you know, putting alongside Taylor in that respect. And I find it very hard to separate them all. Um, Taylor yeah. averages 40 plus in three continents. They've done it for a long time. And as you said, he, it, t- Taylor comes in in tough situations. So does Matthews. Um, you know, Sri Lanka aren't one of the strongest sides in, in Test Cricket. In fact, one of the weakest sides in recent years. Um, you know, he's gone through quite his career in the last couple of years. He's been through quite a few ups and downs. He's dropped from the side for fitness reasons. Um, but he's a very consistent player. He can he play well against pace and spin. Um, and so, yeah, for similar reasons that Mood's made for Taylor, I think Matthews is, is again, he's not, for me, he's not quite in that really high group, but he's, he's there and he's consistent and reliable. And I'd love him in my side if I was building a test side. All right. So honourable mentions, I suppose, for Azar Ali, um, Ben Stokes, uh, Dimuth Karunaratne, who's been the standout opener, I think a couple of years ago we picked when openers were struggling, Karunaratne stood out, uh, not like a beacon, but in a, a struggling period for openers, he was one of the more successful ones around with Rod, with Tom Latham as well. So I'm going to ask you guys to let's pick that top five, no fighting, no quarreling, but standing <laughs> on your selection. We've locked in the top three. Give me two more, regardless. Well, well, I think Joe Root is definitely four, um, for, for all the reasons we've discussed. Um, so, is everyone comfortable with, with Root at four? Yeah. Yeah. Bish, you happy with that one? I am. So, we're really looking for our, the, our last player. Um, we, we've had a robust discussion around Pajara and Warner, their, their styles and their methods. So to me, it's probably out of those two. We've mentioned, as you as you touched on, you know, Taylor, Rahani, um, Matthews. But t- to me, that last spot is between Pajara and Warner, and it's just who would you rather walk out to bat day in day out to deliver for you in Test cricket? Which is a diff- difficult question because they have slightly different roles as well mm. this is what i was going to say and this is this is i'm going to be accused of ducking out of the question here but but i think <laughs> the answer the answer to the question is is dependent on what you've got around them because of the fact that yep. they're so different they are so different warner um is an opener who takes takes the game to you and if you have guys like smith and labashane at number three and four providing some solidity he works he, he it yep. makes sense and like Pajara in India's side, and you've got Rohit and Agarwal at the top. Rohit as well, who maybe is deserving of an honourable mention for the, his recent form. He's certainly um, not got the body of work yet to be put in this discussion um, long term. But um, Rohit, Agarwal, Kohli, Rahane, 
Pajara is the perfect foil for that. And maybe, I know, we're, we're, I'm slightly, slightly dodging the question here, but, but, but maybe it is dependent on who else you've got in, in your top order. But, but we haven't got a top order. We're picking a top five. So I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm going with Warner. And the reason I'm going for Warner is that he's got a slightly better conversion rate of 44 against 42. His average is exactly the same. But what I have stood by in this discussion is strike rate. His strike rate 73 in test cricket, where Pajara's is 46. So I'm going for the person with a slightly better conversion rate with an incredible strike rate, which is by far head and shoulders above anyone. Um, I think the next best in our discussions is Coley at 58, Ross Taylor at 60. So to have a strike rate at 70 at the top of the order, averaging 49, I'll take that any day. Uh, for, for the reasons that I've been standing for in the show, I'll go Pajara then, and I think that we're undervaluing balls per dismissal, um, and that's my measure that I'm I, I, I'm putting you know putting my stool by. And and for me, Pajara's ability to stay at the crease is 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 very important. He's got the third best dismissal rate of anyone we've spoken about today. Steve Smith, 114 balls a wicket. Labuschagne, 112. Then Pajara, 105. Um, Azar Ali after that, 102. But then after that, it really does drop off towards the 90s and 80s. So he's, he's surviving a significantly longer period of time at the crease. And for me, that is, is why I'm taking him. So Mere Mood's going for, for different options there. Bish, that does, I think, leaves you with the casting vote. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm not going to cast a vote to break up you two. Uh, I mean, I'm going to leave you guys and get you guys a pair of boxing gloves um, for the next Christmas coming time. I'm going to go outside of that. I like Warner at home, but something eats away at me with his away form. So I know that he can win you test matches consistently in Australia. I do love Cheteshwar Pujara's old school because I'm very au fait with that old school. But if I'm looking for balance, I'm looking at the guy that we mentioned not that long ago, uh, who's probably scoring three clicks less than Warner, and that's Ross Taylor. Because I think Ross will give me an efficiency of performance at home, but he will give me just as efficient, if not better, performance away from home. His conversion rate isn't as good as David Warner's, but I'm just looking at the value that he can give me in terms of the tempo he will score. So that's just my outlier because I'm not, it doesn't sit with me, Warner's record away from home. And Pujara is solid, but I'm going to go for Ross Taylor. Yeah. So that's that's something for our, our listeners to debate. Um, as, as we close, and we've been debating this for a long time, and it's not cast in stone, folks, so don't throw stones at the Bishop household uh, because I haven't picked your guy. If we're looking towards the future, young players that we feel, a young player that we feel will make a huge impact on the world game in a couple of years' time outside of Labuschain and Barbarazm, who are the guys that we will go for? Uh, Freddie, I'll, I'll, I'll start you off with the numbers. Well, for me, and you know, without you know, wanting to say this guy, will definitely go on and make it. Um, there's been a standout player who's emerged um, over the last couple of years in domestic cricket over here, and he's recently made his test, well, he made his test debut a couple of years ago, but has since come back, and that's Ollie Pope. Um, he's got a first-class average of more than 60. He made his test debut against, in, against India in 2018 um, when he came in for a couple of tests and then since moved out. Um, but then he's returned um, in the series, or, or this winter, obviously, um, and has made a fantastic impression. 
for me, he he looks a serious, serious player. And you know, with a first-class average of 60, that speaks for itself. But then you watch him play and you can tell, yeah, that's why this guy averages 60. He looks class. So for me, Oli Pope is someone who over the next couple of years, he's going to have, he's going to be battling tough conditions in England. But he's got the game to deal with it. I think he's going to be a star of the future. Yeah, I'd agree with that one. I watched quite a bit of the series against South Africa where he played that test series and he was head and shoulders above his age and and development as a young test player. He looked like he belonged and looked like he'd been there for five years. Um, so he's he's a he is a sensational player and uh, he's going to be right up there amongst it. Um, in Australia... Uh, I don't think we've got any one of that quality that stands out, but I'll give you a, a couple of names. Will Prokoski from Victoria. Um, he's had a few challenges with injury um, and a few other few, few other areas where he's looking to overcome, but he, he looks to me to be a very, very exciting young player. Um, and another one that's emerged this year, uh, he's only 20 years old, a, a young man called Cameron Green. Uh, he's an all-rounder, top-order bat, like he'll bat five or six for you. He can bowl decent pace. Um, but he scored three Sheffield Shield hundreds this year as a young player. He couldn't bowl because he had stress fractures in his back, so he just concentrated uh, on his batting and delivered three centuries at the age of 20. So I think he's one to stand out. Um, certainly a standout in Australia. But I think um, certainly the the one player out of India that I've always liked, and Bish, we saw him in New Zealand in the under-19 World Cup, is Shubman Gill. Um, and to me, he's going to be something special as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to jump on that Shubman Gill train because, look, I have a bias uh, for guys who play straight lines. It's one of the reasons I, I love someone like a Sachin Tendulkar, and Simon Gill plays in those same straight lines. His technique is a little bit tighter for me um, than one or two of his contemporaries, so I'm going to stay with that Shipman Gill. And if I were to choose one young player that we saw recently from the Under-19 tournament, and I only choose him because I think he's mentally strong, which for me is a big part of being a good test match player, something that we overlook a lot of the time the mental strength that I see in Smith, in Coley, uh, in a Chandapal or Lara or Tendulkar is a kid called Ben Charles with left-handed bat, very tall, upright, elegant player. I'm going long-term and I'm earmarking that kid to have a test match career. He's not your dynamic player, but someone that has caught my eye and I like very much. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, for all your debate, I think we've had a little bit more robustness about that one because we've suddenly seen a strength of our own opinions. Uh, and as we close, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we hope that we can have some feedback from our listeners. And again, you can find us on the various social media sites. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Freddie. And hope you enjoy listening to our podcast.